Welcome to the next track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams, and I'm Kirk McElhern. You can find episode show notes, past episode archives, and listener discussions at our website, thenexttrack.com. And in between episodes, follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. So we're all enduring this new stay-at-home, work-from-home culture. Video conferencing, video streaming, video-to-video communication has suddenly become a skill that a lot of people have had thrust upon them. And the results aren't always very professional-looking. Not that professionalism is something that you should be striving for under the current circumstances, um, but I've seen many professionals, and I'm talking about TV people and musicians and, and people who should know better, just doing a way less than spectacular job when they do their video stuff. For instance, uh, Nashville is renowned for great sound, and yet I've seen these Nashville cats playing from their homes, streaming from home, using nothing but a crummy laptop mic. I mean, come on. So we've asked our good friend Andy Doe on the show to give us a few tips on how to look and sound better when you do the video from home. Andy, it's great to see you. Thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you very much for having me back on the show. I can't believe after last time you even considered it. <laughs> <laughs> Times are tough, Andy. We're all stuck at home. What else could we do? <laughs> That's right. We're all, we're all stuck at home. And, uh, of course, the... The three of us have the stuff we need to podcast from home, in part because we're a bit nerdy about audio. And so over time, we've acquired microphones and a lot of cables, a really very large number of cables and adapters and headphones and, and the stuff that you need to produce some kind of an audio recording. But there were quite a few musicians around the world who woke up to the news that they weren't allowed to go outside anymore, couldn't participate in the group performance of, uh, of music. And for many of those musicians, lockdown has been a, a voyage of technological discovery, finding out how it is that they can stream from their homes and, and what that involves. And as, uh, as all the people who can afford to pay me have already paid me to tell them how to do this. I'm here with the uh, the answers to how to stream from home for free for everybody else. Well, on a basic level, it's not that difficult. If you've got an internet connection, you ideally want to have video, though you don't have to, and you want to have audio. So the minimal means to do this would be an iPhone, a Samsung phone, any kind of a smartphone. It's got a microphone in it. It's got a, a video camera. You just lean it up on something and you point it at you, your instrument or whatever. And that in and of itself can provide you with the appropriate recording capabilities. And you get the video, you cut off the beginning and the end, and you post it on Facebook, Twitter, or wherever. Yeah. Yeah. You can do it that way. Um, and there are uh, there are some things you can do to improve the results that you'll get from that setup. Definitely a smartphone is the most wonderfully self-contained piece of streaming apparatus. You've got the microphone, you've got the video camera, you've got a screen to monitor what you're doing, you've got a headphone socket, You uh, or if it's a mm. fancy iPhone, then you <laughs> haven't got a headphone socket. Uh, yeah. you've, got, you've got courageous Bluetooth. Uh, you've you've got all these things in the device, and if you're a musician, you might have a music stand at home, which makes a wonderful microphone stand tripod for your for your camera mic combo. But still, there are some things we can do to to finesse the output of of what we're producing here. Um, 
Usually the difference between live streaming with a smartphone and live streaming with a load of fancy gear has to do with where you can position the camera and the microphone. So if you're going to capture the sound of your voice or an instrument that you're playing with a smartphone, you usually want it to be about arm's length away. You want it selfie distance away from you. And selfie distance is, is fine for capturing kind of head and shoulders portrait video as well. Um, the microphone on your smartphone is located at the bottom underneath the button or where the, where the power socket is. And uh, so you don't want to cover that up. That's one of two reasons to not capture your live stream in portrait. The other being that portrait video looks shit. Uh, so do it in landscape. If you're using a music stand to support your iPhone, then uh, take off the case of your phone and be very careful that you do not drop your phone while you have the case removed. But remove the case because it does nothing for the, the sound that the mic captures. Um, you can uh, then have the end sticking off the side of your music stand so that it's in free space. Uh, the mic in a smartphone is usually a, an omnidirectional microphone. It captures sound from all directions. And that means that you're going to have to think a little bit carefully about where in the room you put this. So one of the worst audio effects when you're capturing sound in a microphone is the sound of the, uh, of, of your voice, of your instrument, traveling past the microphone, bouncing off the wall and coming straight back to it. What we call the room noise or the sound of the room. Yeah, that's, that's right. And sound will travel out of your mouth or out of your instrument in every direction and will arrive back at the microphone at, at different times. And that can, that can produce a kind of ringing sound or it can produce a kind of very echoey sound. But uh, you get a particularly nasty ping or slapback on the sound when it's bouncing off the wall directly, directly behind the mic. And so it's great to put something soft like a duvet, bed sheets, pillows piled up on a chair, huge pile of dirty laundry, whatever it is you've got in your house. And that will, that will really improve the sound that you're capturing. If you have a large dog and you can seat it behind the smartphone, that's one of the better ways to. Very large dogs, so long as it is well rested and not panting. One of the things that I've found disturbing about a lot of pop celebrities, at least early on, uh, broadcasting from their homes was that they took into account nothing that you just said. Um, they, they, you, know, you, know, you would think these like Nashville country artists would have a, a, a tremendous knowledge of how the room sounds, how to mic their instruments, and yet here they are sitting in front of their laptops or their phones, and it sounds terrible. Well, that's, that's partly an architectural issue. If you're a successful country artist and you live in Nashville, then you almost certainly live in a vast McMansion. And uh, if you're going to live stream, you're going to do it from the cathedral ceiling living room, which has a few soft objects low down, but is acoustically a catastrophe. <laughs> now, this is interesting because some years ago I lived in a house that had an, a, a cathedral ceiling. It also had tile floors. And I remember we discussed this and you said the only way that I could get rid of that annoying echo would be like to hang a sheet someplace. So there was like a balcony and if I could hang a sheet below the cathedral ceiling, that would cut off some of the echo. Yeah, it would have to be something heavy. 
So uh, a bed sheet wouldn't do it, but heavy blankets might do it. Your duvet is probably a, a, a great example because it has a lot of air in it. Yeah, that's right. It helps to prevent sound from being reflected back off the surfaces that you cover in it. So sometimes uh, you go into poorly resourced recording studios and they very effectively staple gunned a load of Ikea duvets to the walls and ceilings. And it, That's right. It, it works very well to kill the room sound. Doug was mentioning these musicians who aren't doing this right. I'll try and find a link to a video that Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, posted yesterday that he shot on his iPhone. And you can even see at the beginning of the video, he's pulling his hand back from where he tapped to turn it on. In the, he wasn't playing music or, or singing or anything. In the video, he's explaining that Apple's been donating masks and, and visors and things like that. But you can see that this is a man who does have a bit of understanding of technology. He, he obviously chose the best room for it because there's very little room noise. It's clear that it was just an iPhone or maybe an iPad that he used, and he did it in portrait mode, but that's, you know. What an amateur. Yes. So one, one thing to point out, though, is that in a lot of cases, musicians can choose which room they're going to be in unless they have a piano. So ideally, choose a room that has tapestries hanging on the wall or curtains in front of a window. Carpeting. Absolutely, absolutely. So look around your... Uh, your Brooklyn studio apartment for the for the one of your many rooms that is draped in heavy tapestries. That's definitely the one to use for your recording. You know, honestly, the best place to record if you can fit your instrument into it is is a clothes closet. That's right, and and this is this is this is one of those times when uh, the impoverished musicians do have a, uh, a, a peculiar advantage here because uh, if you cannot afford a McMansion in, uh, in Nashville to make bad live covers of your own songs, then the closet or your, your bedroom is going to be a wonderful place, wonderful place to record. What's difficult about that is that often it doesn't provide the visual backdrop that you want. It could be quite dark. It could be dark or, you know, I mean, it may... It may not be a level of intimacy that you want to share with your your audience, right? And generally, when I'm working with musicians, helping them to do this, um, we're looking at neutral backgrounds behind them, so that we're not not giving people too much of a glimpse into their into their home life. A nice neutral background behind you. Um, a thing that people often get wrong with this is that their their phone, their camera, ends up too low down. And they'll adopt a good performing posture, which will mean that the camera's shooting straight up their nose. <laughs> and this is this is quite a familiar webcam angle, right? We've all yeah. we've all got used to this. Um over the last couple of weeks, zooming with our relatives and getting the uh, the nostril view. But uh, if you can put your if you put your music stand right up high or stand your phone on a bookshelf, uh, if you need a tripod adapter for your smartphone, then uh, I can hardly recommend making one out of Lego. If you have any of that around, uh, a cardboard box will work very well, um, or you can gaffer tape it to anything in your house. But um, 
there are clips available to put smartphones on tripods and they make a big difference to the quality of the video output that you get from them generally. Okay, so that's the smartphone or the tablet, but a lot of performing musicians probably have laptops. And the advantage of a laptop is that while it's a little more difficult to position in different locations, it does, in most cases, have a microphone that's right next to where the camera is in the front. So instead of the camera being pointing down on a phone, the camera on the laptop is pointing out. That's right. So sometimes the microphone is near the keyboard, sometimes it's up by the camera. But um, again, what we need to do really is lift the laptop up so that it's not at desk height, it's a little bit little bit higher. We want to pad the space behind it. And both with laptop cameras and with uh, smartphone cameras, these are capable of producing really quite impressive video, but generally only under very good lighting circumstances. And the kind of lighting that we want here is, is characterized mostly by the rule more is more, <laughs> because what expensive cameras have is better low light performance. If you look at all of the wonderful footage you see that people produce on GoPros, uh, it's, all, it's all outdoors during the day. Bright sunlight, small cameras can produce very, very good images. Uh, these same tiny cameras don't do so well in low light. So we want lots of light. Ideally, diffused daylight, not direct sunlight because you get harsh shadows on your face. But artificial light is fine. But again, we want to light the room with multiple sources of light and not have a single harsh spotlight on you unless you're going for a particular particular effect. Um, and what's, what can be really difficult to correct for is a mixture of warm artificial light and daylight because those two lights are different colours. And the camera in your computer or your phone is going to try and correct for the colour of of the light coming into it, and it's going to get confused, and you're either going to end up looking slightly blue or slightly yellow. And as you move around and the light changes, you may change colour. I notice this sometimes on my iPhone. If I take several photos of the same thing, and sometimes I use my iPhone for product photos for articles I write. When I take several photos and then when I look at them afterwards, they all have a slightly different color because the iPhone is adjusting the white balance, which is the color adjustment. And ideally, we're talking about musicians here, so these aren't people who are going to have the tools to do it. But if you do have, if you're using some kind of professional video software to record it, you can set the white balance. You can adjust it using a white card that you hold up in front of the the camera, and you can tell the the software that this is the white. But I think we don't need to worry too much about the high quality of the video in these things. This is more. How would you say this is more filling a need with musicians who just need to perform? They have to perform. They can't remain silent in all this. So I think there's less of a, an issue about making a video that looks perfect and more about getting something that's not too much of a hassle to set up. Absolutely. You do have some more options if you want to improve upon, upon that. In between the multi-camera, 4K, amazing fancy live streams that you see coming from opera houses and and the the basic kind of smartphone version um you can improve what you get from your smartphone in a number of ways you can try providing the the sound via an external microphone and there are a number of options that will allow you to do this and uh, i think amazon is still delivering a few of them um, i have a usb sound card which i paid six pounds for and I'm able to plug that into my iPhone using another adapter, which is made by, made by Apple. And that adapter gives you a USB input 
to your to your phone. It's a camera adapter. So it's intended to plug in the USB cable from your camera, but you can plug any USB device into that. So you get the camera adapter and then you can charge your phone whilst having a USB device plugged in. You plug the USB sound card into that and then you've got a separate audio input and output for your for your phone can you um can you run a mixer through that could if i had a small mixer is that the next step so, absolutely so then you can connect anything you want into that it's a three and a half millimeter jack plug and you've got a stereo input into your phone and you can plug the output from your mixer you could plug um, an electronic instrument directly into it you could plug your computer into it and do a mixture of, of live and electronic sounds off the computer. And you can obviously do the same thing into a laptop, plugging a microphone or a mixer into the USB jack, which is sort of what we're doing. We're, we're not using laptops. I've got a mixer. My microphone goes into the mixer and it goes into my iMac. My headphones come out of the mixer, so I'm able to adjust the input and the output. You have a lot of options. And even if you don't have the mixer, if you have an external microphone that works with USB, Two advantages to this. One is you're going to get better sound than the microphone that's in a laptop, but the second is you can position it in a different location. So you're able to move the laptop further away to see you more clearly. Let's say you play cello. You want to see a vertical expanse from, you know, at least the top of the cello to the, to what do you call the bit where you rub the thing on it? <laughs> well, the, the end pin is the pointy bit at the very bottom. The, well, the, the, the bridge bit, yeah. is uh, where the... Where the, the bridge, right. Okay. So from the top of the cello to the bridge, but you can move the microphone, say position it on a stand on the floor to get the sound coming a lot closer, which means that you'll get less of that echo because... Your microphone can't be too close because it'll distort if it is, but if it's too far, you get more echo. Absolutely. And of course, you have plenty of time whilst locked up in your house, not able to go out to experiment with this. Uh, generally, you don't want to be in a kitchen because the fridge is noisy. Generally, you don't want to be in a bathroom because it sounds like a bathroom. But there will be occasions when singing in the shower is exactly the acoustic you want to achieve. And that's that's an option that is available to you if you are not able to apply reverb electronically <laughs> on the devices that you have. Just be careful taking too much audio gear into a bathroom because electricity and water do not mix well. Good point. So, Andy, you told us last week that you're working on a project to stream something with a whole bunch of people to a very public location. How much can you tell us about? Well, so this is May morning, which is the 1st of May in Oxford. The choir of Magdalen College Oxford have, for as long as anyone can remember, uh, welcomed the 1st of May uh, at sunrise by singing from the top of Magdalen Tower. And, uh, of course, they can't do it this year. Last year, 27,000 people showed up at sunrise to, to hear this. That's amazing. Um, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very English thing. It's uh, part Christian, part, part pagan festival. It's a celebration of springtime. Uh, some of the students will have been up drinking all night. Um, I thought these were kids. Well, so the children, so the choir won't have been up drinking all night, but some ah. of the people in the streets may have been. Uh, some, <laughs> some will have got up early to experience this. Um, but it's, it's a long-standing tradition, and it's been happening uninterrupted for hundreds of years. And this year, they can't do it. 
uh, the they can't have the choir all in one place, let alone 27,000 other people. Can I just confirm something? You said that this is Maudlin College. Is that the one yes. that's spelled Magdalene? That's the one. Yes. Britain. Okay. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so much about this project is explained with, ah, uh, Britain. So, so how are you going to do this? Okay, so uh, the, the choir is made up of a mixture of young boys and uh, young men who are students at the university, and they're all at home at the moment. They aren't able to go into the college to rehearse or record. So we've created a accompaniment track and a video of their conductor, Mark Williams, waving his arms in the appropriately rhythmic manner. And given this to the choristers and the gentlemen of the choir, and they've been practicing this. They've set up their iPhones at arm's length, facing towards them, landscape mode, neutral background behind them, in their choir uniforms, gone through the checklist, got everything right, practiced, got a second device, an iPad or a second phone, up on the music stand next to the first one with the conductor on it, headphones in to give them the accompaniment because they need to know what to sing in tune and in time with. And they've each recorded their individual bits. And then uh, there are two mixes have to happen. Uh, Simon Kiln, the producer, is going to combine the audio of all of these into a, a good quality choral recording. And I will do something with the video to make it look good. And then at six o'clock in the morning, British time on the 1st of May, we'll, uh, we'll stream the thing. So you'll be streaming it at home. You won't put megaphones on top of the church and be playing it from there. Well, we can't because that might encourage people to come and listen to it. And we need them to stay at uh -huh. home and listen to it yes. for, for safety. Now, this is one of those things. It would be lovely if, because it's always a live event. It would be lovely if we could do this live. But using the currently available technology, it's not practical to simultaneously stream all of these voices from all of these different places and combine them into something that sounds good and, and consistent. Because things like Skype and Zoom are primarily aimed at conveying speech and conversation. And the processing that they apply to the voices has a big effect on the sound quality whilst suppressing the feedback and the strange echoes that would otherwise render them unintelligible. And not only that, it'd be impossible to synchronise. Right. And part of that is in order to not have lots of interruptions on weak internet connections, they have quite long latency, which means that uh, when something happens at one end of the line, there's a delay before that that arrives at the other end. And if you're all listening to each other and trying to sing in time with each other, then you can end up with this kind of circular delay where people get slower and slower and slower. <laughs> Maybe uh, you could run that like later on that day after everybody's partied. <laughs> no, May but that, that's, that sounds like an interesting Brian Eno experiment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the way he did the Paco Bell's Canon reduced to like one sixteenth of its speed on, what was it, on the discrete music uh, record? That. Hey, Andy, I think you should do something there. Yeah, well, it would be like Alvin Lucier, I'm sitting in a room, but it would be, I'm sitting in a room different to the one you're in now, trying to do something in time with, in, in time with, in, in time with you, it would be a disaster. <laughs> so we're not doing that. Um, we're not going to 
obliged to be. Even telephones have too much latency for a choir to sing yes. together over the phone. So we, we're yes, not doing true. that. Uh, and it won't really be live, but it will go out at 6 a.m. And it will sound lovely. Uh, I've, heard, I've heard bits of it uh, because the, uh, the, the choristers are dropboxing a video to me as, as we speak. See, another one's just arrived, and uh, they're they're going to um, they're going to sound great when they're all mixed together. Has anybody had to do any retakes, or is there any kind of fudging of the audio? Because it's really a tricky kind of editing thing to to do. It's a bit of a tricky editing thing, but if everybody's captured relatively dry sound, then we've we've got some options here. You remember normally when you record a, a choir of particularly. A kind of English style cathedral choir where you've got you've got men and you've got you've got boys providing the the top line. Um, they have to rehearse to a very high standard to not be screwing up all the time. They're very well rehearsed. They're very good. And when we record with them in the chapel, every one of them has to get it right in order for a take to be good because we've got no isolation. We point a bunch of microphones at, at all of them. But here we've got them all isolated because everybody's just recorded their part. And while that's not ideal for getting everybody to sing perfectly in time, it does mean that when you're editing this, you've got some, you've got some options on how you, how you correct minor flaws. So you can just slide the volume fader down on number four for a second and then bring it back up. Absolutely. We can, we can, we can miss out bits or we can correct the pitch of individual notes in a way that we normally couldn't. Oh, no, no, no auto-tune for choral recordings, please. <laughs> I, don't, I don't anticipate any of that. I mean, they're, they're really very good. I think you mentioned that you were going to throw some cathedral reverb on it. I mean, because obviously they're not singing in a church. Or some McMansion reverb. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to be clear, it's, it's not going to be me who edits the audio. I'm, I'm editing the video. But uh, it is certainly possible now to add some, some chaply reverb. And what many college choirs have for their recordings is what's called an impulse response reverb for their own venue. Really? So you can, you can record how a single click bounces around a room and usually they do it by popping a balloon or and then they'll record some other strange whooping noises what they call uh, frequency sweeps and and can from that create a model of how that particular room reverberates when when a, a sound happens in it and you can then apply that to anything you've recorded somewhere else and so if you want to uh, make something sound like it was recorded in King's College Chapel, you press the King's College Chapel button. And if you want it to sound right. like it was done from the top of Maudlin Tower, then you press the Maudlin Tower button and it's going to be all right. That's pretty cool. Can we do that for this podcast? Sure. <laughs> that, that would be funny. I actually have a reverb thing in my mixer and I'm afraid to, to turn it on to do something because it sounds really strange. I remember I attended a few years ago one of your recording sessions at King's College Chapel in Cambridge. How many seconds does it take for a sound to go up to the ceiling and back down again? Well, the problem is not so much that, that there's a single measurable reverberation time, but more that if something loud happens in there, 
it bounces from one flat end of the building to the other flat end of the building and back again past you to the first flat end of the building and keeps doing this uh, because it's all stone it's a very reflective surface it's mostly flat it's a rectangular building and so at a kind of normal musical volume you can get two or three seconds of of sound still still very clearly audible after everybody stopped making the noise and if yeah. you've if you've got something even louder something abnormally loud then it will continue for even longer but what happens is you have an exponential decay on on the reverberation of sound around a room like that and so it's not it's not that you can say oh there's a two second reverb it may be that it goes from the maximum threshold of like the pain threshold it's too loud for you to make a louder noise than this down to it's so quiet you can barely hear it in in two or three seconds but that's that's quite common for a cathedral so so it's got a certain half-life that after a certain amount of time it's half as loud then half as loud etc absolutely so if you had a uh, i mean in theory then if you had a sensitive enough microphone you could go up there and and hear Cromwell and his soldiers <laughs> killing time in, in King's College Chapel. I think on that note, we're going to wrap this up because, um, I don't know, that's not an image that I want to keep in mind. But Andy, thank you very much. I'll put some links in the show notes, in particular to Alex Ross's website, where he's got a running list of all the musicians, well, all a, a lot of musicians, orchestras, opera companies, etc., who are doing live streams. Frankly, in spite of everything, this is a golden time for people who want to experience classical music live from their home, if you just get over the poor video and audio quality of some of them. But then others are, the Berlin Philharmonic has given a 30-day free trial to their service where they have this library of hundreds of audio and video recordings that are filmed in 4K surround sound and, and you know, perfect, so... Andy, thanks for joining us, and I hope you're not too bored sitting at home trying to figure out which cable goes from your microphone to your mixer. Thank you very much. It's been great to be on the show. Take care. Stay safe. This is the part of the show where we tell you about our next track picks. Kirk, what have you got? So for my next track, I had to search a bit. Normally, we do this podcast fortnightly for those who don't speak British. That means every two weeks. But now we're doing two episodes a week, which is a lot. Now, I don't listen to that much different music. So picking something twice a week is becoming a bit demanding. Sometimes if I find a new album I like, I'll listen to it three or four times or six times like the Nils Fromm album that I mentioned recently. But sometimes I just don't listen to music, believe it or not. I like to have silence sometimes when I'm working. So I look through my music library and I'm trying to think, what can I pick that I haven't heard in a long time that I would listen to today? And I came up with Lou Reed's Street Hassle, 1978. This is one of the seminal Lou Reed albums, of which there are many in the 1970s, albums like Transformer and Berlin. And even the first Lou Reed album, which I really like, a lot of people don't realize it's Steve Howe playing guitar on a lot of those tracks. But Street Hassle came out in 1978 and the context was really interesting in New York. The city had gone bankrupt. There had been garbage strikes. The crime rate was really high. And it was a really dark time. At the same time, this is the year of disco, right? 1978. Street Hassle is eight tracks. And one of them, the title track, is 11 minutes long. And it's this really dark song which starts with music. And then it's a kind of a talking song. It's about prostitutes and drug addicts 
getting killed. And yet somehow in this album, there is some level of optimism. I remember listening to it in that period, 78, 79. Something about it was, it's kind of like when Jim Morrison sings, I've been down so long, this looks like up to me. So Street Hassle is not the most enjoyable Lou Reed album, but it's certainly one I'm going to give a new listen to pretty soon. Doug, what about you? Warning, I'm going with a Devo album. Um, Not the first one, which is really good, produced by Brian Eno and all that. But I really like the second album called Duty Now for the Future. I remember when it came out, it came out in July of 1979. My friends and I were huddled around the radio because the local college station was going to play the whole thing in its entirety. And we sat there, ha- like like those pictures you see of, of radio listeners glued to the radio listening to FDR. That's how we were. We gathered around the radio listening to this new Devo album, and we thought it was fabulous. Um, we actually saw them on tour later that month. They came to a, a college in Rhode Island, and uh, they were terrific. A lot of people don't really care for Devo. I understand that. It's an acquired taste. I like their earlier stuff better than their later stuff, mostly because the usual reason. It gets a little over-commercialized. I think everything after the second album, while I like, is is nice and, and, and well-produced and sounds slick and everything. I really think the best stuff is on the first two albums, which was mostly comprised of stuff they had been performing live up until they got a recording contract. Uh, you know, the first batch of good stuff was on the Brian Eno album, but uh, this batch, the second batch, was produced by Ken Scott. And uh, the band was kind of not happy with the production. They felt that Ken Scott left a little of their energy off the album. I don't think so. I like the way it sounds. I always think of Devo songs as self-contained science fiction stories. And it, it still works. And I, I like the minimalist, I like the more minimalist sound that this album has over the first one. But anyway, it's it's comfort food for me, this particular album, by Devo. Duty Now for the Future is my next track. This was episode number 176 of the next track. Thanks for listening. Your comments on any episode are welcome. You can start or join a conversation on this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you gave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can't leave a review, tell your friends about us. Tell your family about us. Use the social media stuff. It's all right there for you to take advantage of. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.